0: This is the National Medicine Symposium from the Canberra National Convention Centre. lovely to be able to share a keynote address on a podcast. And if you are joining us and you weren't able to get to the NMS Symposium for 2018, we're going to be able to let you into a, a little secret given by Professor... Ivan Marils, the keynote address, the convergence of engineering, IT, and clinical practice opportunities and challenges, Lab Director for IBM Research Australia since February this year. How's it going? I, I'm actually enjoying myself ball over
1: time. Before that, I was an academic, and now I'm working for IBM Research. So really enjoying that, an opportunity to work with very bright people in an area of uh, IT, basically, yeah.
0: Before we get on to exactly what you were delivering At the address uh, for the symposium, the Internet of Things, Mm -hmm. what is that? Internet of Things is a term that we use to identify
1: that machines can talk to each other, that they form a network. And so rather than having telephone calls linking people together, now we have devices that can make telephone calls, and they talk to each other, and they're linked in the Internet. The hope is that uh, through those devices we can create what is called often the cyber-physical reality, where then people are immersed in this environment around them can provide them with the information they need. So it's uh, been around for a long time, but the real benefits of it still have to come.
0: What benefit is it to this particular sphere?
1: Okay, in-health Internet of Things would be a, a way of getting data that normally are very difficult to get in an objective manner. People like to, for example, exaggerate about their weight. Uh, but if you observe how they walk, you can actually infer their weight. If people fall, you can see that. Uh, you can you can get it from their watches. You can observe and you can get information that otherwise is very difficult to get. So for example, in in, in an uh, old age People home, you would be able to monitor people, identify what care they need, without feeling intrusive, without affecting them, and and yet being good for them in care. That's something that's very difficult to do with lots of people. And you can so you lower the cost of your care and get the care at the right place at the right time. That's one of some of the things that people are trying to do. Uh, You can also do creepy things within the net of things. Uh, If you wanted to track a person that was unsavory in society, you could do that. You could try all the the cameras in the world that are around you, and there are plenty in every city, and you could track a person through traffic in cities and so on. So there are good things and bad things you can do with this, like with every technology. But um, the promises that we have for IoT for good in health are essentially to lower the cost of getting quality data and to get more data that are effective for clinical management.
0: And then I guess cost savings can come back in in a good way.
1: That's correct, yes. So this is one of the uh, promises that we make, that by having more data, more early intervention, that we can do preventive med- medicine, and that should be ex- much cheaper than uh, fixing the problems after they have occurred.
0: Can you give us an example of, a, of an opportunity that, that you see as a, a really good thing?
1: Okay, Um then we might get to a challenge. Yeah. Uh, okay, so a very good thing, but I will not take it out of the health environment. I will take it out of the transport environment. If I knew and probably Google knows already uh, where you want to go at a particular time in the day, I could give you advice over what is the best way of getting from A to B. And it may be take walk 200 meters, take an Uber, take an autom- autonomous bus, and then take a train to your destination because that's, at this point in time, the best solution that could save people's time congested in cities and therefore bring billions back in lost wages essentially that you're sitting in in congestion otherwise so that's one way where iot could make a dramatic difference transport there will be opportunities like that in health as well and one about age care and home care in particular are big ones so a full detector if your home was smart enough to know that you are walking no nurse has to come by but if you fell and you haven't moved for two hours, then the alarm should go off and someone should come and attend to you without you having to intervene. And those things are possible already. We have to implement them and make them feasible.
0: Challenges then in implementing?
1: Okay. Challenges. is, is the, the first challenge I see is about the training of people, the skill sets. Uh, when we say data-rich society, when we say immersive technologies, we're putting them person inside, if you like, a cyber-physical reality, we're turning the paradigm of engineering upside down. We need people that are differently trained, have different perspectives, and we need people that can deal with that data can understand what the impacts is of data, and we need to train people to work with that. So in a medical environment, that would be that next to a doctor, next to a nurse, next to a health professional, you also have data professionals that are able to help digest and make the link between what has been observed and how has it been digested to the clinical environment. That skill set is lacking for the moment in the health environment. It's the number of data scientists uh, that is on offer as another problem the diversity is not there if data has to serve society our data scientists should be gender neutral we should have 50 50 in the profession we have probably something like 15% females 85% male we have to address that there is a significant
0: challenge in that space is that sorry is that because it, it is not seen as attractive
1: i think it is i don't actually know where it's coming from because if you go back about 40 or 50 years i think computer science was actually well regarded by girls and they would be going into it and then it dropped away i think a lot of the women especially in high school don't perceive the technology as the issue or as a solution even and they don't see the connection to people and women seem to like more the connection to people earlier on and in especially traditional engineering or it uh, training the people aspect come later. It's like where the application is. Well, engineering has to serve society. It has to serve people. But that emphasis in, comes late in the, in, the, in the education. And so pe- girls are turned off. And I think they're turned off from mathematics in high school, uh, which is a pity, really. We really need them. We need them to be able to make decisions. We really need to have that input in order to be able to serve society better. Otherwise, we're going to have a biased viewpoint of what society is.
0: How would you change that? Ah,
1: I wish I knew the answer to that (laughs) one. Uh, Look, We have been trying for so much. Role models play a significant uh, role. So remembering the women that have made an impact. Um, We don't talk enough about, say, Florence Nightingale. Uh, We don't talk enough about the women mathematicians. It seems like there are always male examples that are being brought forward. Changing the way we address uh, problems in mathematics and, and bringing the people aspects much more up front, the societal aspects more up front, changing the biases that we have now, and they are biases, otherwise it would not happen. Uh, there are some of the things we have to do, but biases that are inherent are extremely difficult to change. They're culturally ingrained, so it requires us one thing at a time to change. It's not an easy road. We have gone backwards in Australia, actually. The last 20 years, the numbers have going the wrong way. So we need something different thinking. And I'm, I'm afraid that my thinking is not sufficiently different to give you a solution. But role models and changing our own bias is going to help a lot.
0: We've spoken a lot at this conference about the future. The future is now. I'm talking to someone from an IT background, <laughs> what does that mean? Is it... How do we grasp that?
1: It's actually a very interesting question. I I, I made the observation that we talk about the future is now with respect to going from population to personalized. Reality is that it will always be personalized as well as population. We need both. So in an IT context, six months is a long time. Technology changes that quickly. Uh, Our computer hardware in six months' time can do twice as much as what it can do today. So on the one side, there's a technology push, if you like, capabilities on the other side is how do we take that up and how do we make it real there are lots of barriers in in society so I like to think the future is now it's optimistic Uh, the main thing though is can we make a difference for people and that should be driving everything I don't think we have really grasped yet how to do that well when I look around I see many silos I see many barriers of collaboration Breaking that down will be essential to make the future is now work.
0: And from a symposium like this, that helps?
1: Absolutely. The symposium is partic- is well suited for that. I, I was pleased to see consumers here, biologists, uh, lots of medical practice, pharmacologists, all coming together, and even an engineer like me, uh, all being together in the same room, talking about the same problems from their own perspective. And, and if you don't have that conversation, we are missing something. We will never form a team unless we can speak each other's language. It will take time, and that's a good step.
0: Thank you for giving us your time at the symposium and with us on our podcast.
1: My pleasure.